Hey everyone! Today's episode will be part of our Awesome Person series, in which we chat with awesome people doing awesome things in the world of music today. And today's guest is the amazing Genevieve Lee, who is not only one of the most versatile and intelligent pianists I know, but one of the most genuine and kind as well. We chat about her work in new music, her experiences as a toy pianist and a harpsichordist, her Grammy nomination, her outlook and philosophies on being a musician today, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get on with it. Anybody want a Klondike box? Ooh. Anyone? Yeah. I, don't know. I might split one. Okay. We should totally split one. We could, to- we could-, we could split one. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Okay, so those voices you hear are Genevieve Lee. Are Feiwan Lee? Because you always is fine. Okay. I use Feiwan Lee in the professionally. Or... Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that was Teresa in the background, who is the violinist of Garth Neal Calcretet. And Genevieve is one of Garth Neal's most, let's say, regular guest artists? Regular guest pianist. Regular guest pianist. <laughs> I'm well, the emergency. You're, you're... Emergency call. Oh, oh, really? Is that your role? <laughs> well, you were actually the pianist here, right? I was. Yeah. And how long have you been coming to Garth Neal? I guess as long as Teresa's been coming here, so... <coughs> That's probably since 1999. Oh, wow. So you guys came as a pair? No, but, but Teresa started bringing me as a guest. Oh, okay. Yeah, off and on. So I've been here, you know, off and on for the last oh. however many years. Well, I'm thankful for your ready and willing advice on many things Garth Neal related. I, I still remember when you sent me that email after I got the job, and you were just, like, introducing yourself, and... That really put me at ease, I have to say. Because, I don't know. Like, well, I wanted to be careful. I didn't want to interfere. But oh. I did have a lot of information that yeah, exactly. I wanted to know more. <laughs> and I was very eager to learn. So, so um, I guess I, I'll introduce you this way. Um, Genevieve is not only a sought-after performer of piano, but also a harpsichordist and toy pianist. Is that correct? I probably wouldn't go so far as that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm primarily a pianist. Primarily but, pianist. But I have been playing toy piano more recently, and I became interested in learning about the harpsichord in recent years, too. Oh, in recent years. Mm-hmm. And, and because of Garth Newell, actually. Well. It all just it all comes <laughs> to Garth Newell. <laughs> it's ground zero. Oh, so, oh, wait, so didn't that, this is your formation story, because I was going to ask how you got interested in harpsichord and toy piano. Well, at harpsichord, I think Garth Newell has a wonderful uh, dad harpsichord, which doesn't get used very often, and so they've done pieces involving harpsichord, including Brandenburg Five. Oh, really? You did Brandenburg Five? Mm-hmm. Isn't that piece ridiculous? Right. It sounds, it has, it sounds more ridiculous. It than has a huge part, and so I, I, I learned it and played it, but always felt like I was faking oh. the harpsichord, and so I, I felt like I should learn more about it, and, mm-hmm. and there was a patron at Garth Newell, who said, you know, you should look into Ed Parmentier's courses at University of Michigan so you took in the them? summer. Ah! And so I looked into it, and I thought, uh-huh. well, I'll take the introduction to, to, to harpsichord. Yeah. The two-week session. What did you or one, one, one week session, sorry. One week session. And it was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing? Mind-blowing. Because in music school, when you learn about keyboard literature, you pretty much learn about Bach. It's one day of... Like, right. You yeah. hardly, you don't really learn much about pre-Bach literature. And, and there's so much out there. And as pianists, the only thing we play, you know, Bach, 
maybe a little handle, maybe a little Scarlatti, and that's it. And so when I took his course, I realized there was this vast repertoire of music. Yeah. It was just so beautiful uh, that it just got me really excited about playing the harpsichord. But so, it's hard to find time to practice the harpsichord. I mean, I went yeah. back and took a couple more um, targeted courses. Um, I took a course on Bach uh, Toccatas oh. and Goldberg Variations with Parmentier, and then took another course on Francois Couperin. Oh, nice. And that was probably my favorite. Yeah. And, uh, and so since then, I've tried to incorporate a little bit of harpsichord on my you know, piano recitals. Because That's right. at Pomona, we do also have a, a really nice dowd that doesn't get played very often. And you just did one, right? A, a joint harpsichord piano recital? Yeah, I did a recital in okay. the fall that included one piece by Francois Couperin. And it's it's just a joy to play harpsichord. It's just it's hard to find the time to play it because I feel like I'm a I'm a beginner and it takes so much it it opens your ears in so many different ways because you have to listen to so much subtlety yeah. of articulation and timing that you just wouldn't notice yeah. on the piano because we have so much at our fingertips when we've got the dynamic range and the tone color range. It almost makes it less, like it masks it. Right. There's so much, there's so many other things to think about, but then when you actually have to play on a harpsichord, you're limited. Yeah. Your, your, your toolbox is is more limited, but then you realize that there's so much more that you can, you can do. And I like Francois Couperin because, uh, with limited time at the harpsichord to practice, I feel like technically it's not so hard to play the notes. It's not like playing Bach. It's not so hard to play the notes, but I can concentrate a little bit more on the ornamentation. And I love all the, the frills and the, the, the fancy trills and, and mm-hmm. ornaments that you get in French music. Um, because I, in general, I, like, I love French music. Oh, I see, I see. That's your specialty, in a way. No, I don't think it's my specialty, but I think I'm drawn to, to French music, for huh. sure. Well, I mean, I find it interesting that you were drawn to the harpsichord because of the repertoire, which is kind of similar to what Francis said, that it was just like he fell in love with the repertoire, and that's kind of what made him take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think pianists suffer from playing the same things over and over again. Well, we, but the thing is, we have so much repertoire. I mean, we're that's so true. lucky yeah. out of all the instruments. Yeah. We have so much to choose from. Yeah, yeah. And we don't steal so much from the harpsichord repertoire. So if you want to play really great harpsichord music then you better learn the instrument <laughs> right well so what so what's your take on um playing harpsichord music on modern instrument like do you think that's a big no-no or? no of course not i mean i think harpsichord learning harpsichord has also helped me as a teacher because when i mm-hmm. teach my students i i'm lucky to be able to have the harpsichord in my office and so i have them try the instrument oh so when they don't have the 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 pedal yeah know, instantly they're looking for the pedal they don't have the pedal they can't control the dynamics mm-hmm. they are forced to find ways to be expressive right because i say well if this is Bach, how is how are you going to be expressive right you know you can't use pedal you can't make it louder and softer you have to use timing you have to think about articulation and then the world just opens up there's almost right. too much to think about yeah um but i think that then when you take that information back to the piano um it makes you think about articulation in a different way. It's not right. like, oh, I'm going to make everything detached because a harpsichord can only sound detached. Well, that's not true. Not, not true at all. Right. It's like it's a instrument almost. Exactly. Yeah. You can make a harpsichord sound legato. Yeah. You can make it you know, breathe and feel like there's um, kind of dynamic range. Well, yeah, just, that's 
that's Francis' big pet peeve is that there's no dynamic range. There's actually a huge dynamic there range. There is a huge dynamic range. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like you found that learning the harsh chord made you a better pianist. I think so, for a certain repertoire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and teacher, I think. I think I'm able to, talk to students, articulate to students and have them um, try things with the harpsichord and then say, okay, now we're going to go back to the piano because you're not going to perform this on piano, but what are you going to take back with you? And mm. have them really think about what you lay there with. That connection. Right. So what are you going to think about now and how does it relate? Because it's not... Right. You have to consider these things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of baggage, actually, when you're dealing with broke music. That's yeah. That makes it hard. Oh, it's scary. Fear. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You mentioned your teacher. Um, so where do you teach? I teach at Pomona College, which is a uh, liberal arts college. And the students that I get are, you know, wonderful. They're super smart. They're majoring in many other areas, um, linguistics, biology, chemistry, uh -huh. English, um, economics. And they're not interested in making music a career, right. but, they're, but they've spent a lot of time in music. And they're interested in, in continuing. Right. And so that's that's really fun. I mean, I think a lot of them have had, I mean, as many students growing up, I think uh, many of them don't have experiences with um, new music, for instance. Right. And so it's a matter of exposing them to new repertoire in college because that's where you, you know, open your mind to new things. Right. And so you find that, is that something you push as, as somebody who does a lot of new music, do you push for every student to learn music by living composers? I try. I don't think necessarily living composers makes it into every student's repertoire. Mm -hmm. um, I think even just the 20th century can be um, scary for a lot of them. Right. Um, but I talk about repertoire as something that we think about over maybe a four-year period. Mm -hmm. So you want to have a balanced diet. Right. Sure. I mean, Chopin, Rachmaninoff, Liszt, all that is, you know, wonderful music. I mean, who doesn't want to play that stuff? But too much of it, you but get too high much of it, It's like too, too much, right, too much <laughs> chocolate. You can't just eat chocolate all the time. And it's not as if broccoli tastes awful. It's just there's, there's so much music out there. And for, for me, I think um, the students will go out and hopefully, you know, go to attend concerts or they'll keep playing for the rest of their lives. And they may right. not, you, you want to be able to, come away and say, oh, I can tackle a piece that I might not understand right away, but I can get to know and I know how to right. handle it um, or know how to approach it. Right. So I try to get a variety of pieces into each student's repertoire, you know, including things, I usually give them a choice. So, you know, they have, I give them repertoire choices within a certain period. You know, you hear something that you want to work on, mm -hmm. you know, sure, let's work on a Chopin Nocturne, but mm -hmm. let's also try to work on something else that's, you know, maybe from the beginning of the 20th century. And, you know, what is it that you like? Are you looking for something more lyrical? Or are you looking for something more um, showy, you know, perhaps? Right. But, you know, so I try to work with what the student is preferences. preferences are. Yeah. And there's so much variety in the 20th century. I try to say that just because you don't like one piece, right. it doesn't represent the entire, well, exactly. entire century. Yeah. There's so much variety that we can find something that, can you know, fit maybe you. you're like it. Maybe yeah. you don't like it at first, but eventually you may, you know, find that you have a taste for it. Or right. that it was worthwhile it was worth your time learning it. Yeah. Maybe you're not gonna love um, even Prokofiev. Right. But you know, Frankel didn't teach Prokofiev. 
<laughs> anything after 1915 is well, that was Berman's territory. Oh yeah, exactly. He sent me to Berman for Prokofiev. <laughs> I find that that's a huge misconception. People think new music is just one thing. Right. But right now, right. it encapsulates everything. So there's so much variety. I mean, that's that's the thing is to break down the the that new music can incorporate so many different kinds of styles. Right. I mean, often I have to say that we don't get to, I think, a lot of music by living composers. Yeah. I mean, that's just um, not in the standard rep, so then... Right, and a lot of music by living composers, they're really hard. So they are, but it's a different type of hard. It's a different type of hard, yeah. but it's not necessarily something that a student can handle, right. you know, who's had no experience with, or... Yeah. I mean, I have students with, with incredible backgrounds. I mean, some of them are incredibly virtuosic and can play anything. Right. And others who, you know, I try to take students of different different levels, because we are at right. LaBarge College. Some of them have not had yeah. the training. But they have the love for it, obviously. Right, they're interested. Yeah. And, and, you know, once in a while I do take some beginning students or sometimes I take students who've studied another instrument but they yeah. want to take piano lessons. Well, I, this just popped into my head because you're probably one of the most natural and joyful pianists I know. Do you think that's tied to you having students of all levels so you're not kind of lulled into a conservatory mindset? Is that I'm... I think that I'm very lucky to be teaching students who might be going on and, and you know, patronizing, you know, music in the future. Right. And not trying to make a career. That's an oversaturated market right there. It's, it's I think, kind of almost an ethical issue. You know, do I want to be sending yeah. musicians out and applying for graduate school and to what kind of careers? Yeah. You know, there are only a few people who are really going to. Mm -hmm. make it who have the passion and dedication and perseverance i mean i think it has a right. lot to do with perseverance i think probably most of all actually like the hard shell mm -hmm. or the hard head mm -hmm. well or just a, 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 a talent for you know maybe entrepreneurship or right or nowadays uh, yeah mm -hmm. definitely so you have a special title as your professor right the everett s olive professor that's right yeah and 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 this was uh, it's interesting because um it was a woman who who took lessons when she was at Pomona, and she was really grateful to mm. her teacher. And her teacher at that time was Everett S. Oliver. Oh, okay. And so she gave money to Pomona College to endow this, this position. Oh, so this is not just um, a piano position. This is a, just overall professor it was a, it was a Yeah, it was a title. It was a, it was a chairship that was um, given to the college. Oh wow! And she wanted to endow this position and was. Did she didn't want to name it after herself, right. even though she gave the money, mm. but she was a you know devoted alum of Pomona College who took piano lessons and loved her teacher. And oh wow! Mm -hmm. Well, so that's a that's a big honor actually, right? Mm -hmm. Our, how long have you been at Pomona? Just since I don't know. I started in the fall of nineteen ninety four. Oh wow! So you're a fixture there. This <laughs> Sorry, no, I didn't mean to put it that way. That's a bad word. <laughs> We're just like I've you. You have time. you have a lot of clout. At, like a bathroom <laughs> fixture. <laughs> Not that I have clout, but I've been there a long time. Right, right. You have so many different roles. You perform constantly. You're very active as a chamber musician and a solo pianist. Um, but you're also a pedagogue, like you've done this for a long time and you have a lot of effect on your students. So, um, and you're also a music pianist as well as experimental, right? You do a lot of experimental things. What role do you identify with most, you think? I think I still see myself as a performer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that 
I like to challenge myself. Right. So I'm always looking for things that are going to expand my comfort zone. So one of the one of the pieces that really did that was um, Jevsky's De Profundis. I think that broke a certain boundary for me. Right. Okay. Um, to be able to go on stage and sort of act, and, right? You know, hit myself and like make these sounds and yeah, uh, have a bike, you know, bike horn and and. Oh, I didn't um, know there was a bike horn there. Yep. <laughs> well, so I was listening to the CD you produced of Robert Satterley uh-huh. playing that in, in the car. So I, I must have missed the bike horn. Because it's in there. I, I remember the guttural. Oh, that's a bike horn! And then there's, you, have, you have to imitate like a, like a tuba, right, yeah, I suppose. And then there's, there's, there's definitely a bike horn. That's a there. massive work, isn't it? It's a massive work and incredibly moving, incredibly right. emotional. Um, journey. Mm. So, yeah, I'm always looking for challenges. So I think learning harpsichord and doing some toy piano, I mean, all of that, you know, being involved with new music, doing electric acoustic music, it's always, all right. I'm always looking for what's going to be the next challenge. Well, that's, that's such a great spirit, though. I think a lot of pianists who've been kind of doing the same thing over and over again, playing their standard recitals and teaching their Typical caliber students, and then um, they become kind of like dry turds. <laughs> like, because I, I don't know, it's like the new is something they don't have any curiosity over anymore. But it's, I mean, I don't think there are many pianists like you who have such curiosity still. Well, I, I think I'm in a lucky position. Um, I mean, I have a job that's stable, and I love teaching my students. I'm in a, in a great college that can support projects that I want to do that mm-hmm. involve... Uh, harpsichord, toy piano, speaking, you know, mm-hmm. uh, almost whatever I would like to do. I right. Mean, they're very supportive of it. And, for example, we were able to do uh, Steve Rush's six pianos. We were able to get six pianos on stage and do oh, wow. it with our piano faculty. Yeah. And that's not something you can do anywhere. That's true. You have the resources. And so you would get I'm, a lot I'm of pushback, a, right? I'm in a position that, you know, that's that's where I can come up with an idea and there'll be support for it from my colleagues. I have wonderful colleagues at Pomona and Tom, Tom Flaherty. <laughs> he is the idea man. <laughs> and you're the, uh, what the are you? ideas. The actor? Like what is, I can, I, the mover? I sort of help, you know, make them try to make his dreams come true. Oh, the cheerleader, right? <laughs> the cheerleader. And the actual doer, you're the actual performer. Um, you know what? I didn't ask you the stupid questions. We just jumped right into talking. Yeah, the icebreaker questions. Damn it! Um, what because, were they? Well, okay. So, which composer or pianist, dead or alive, would you like to grab a drink with? First, out of two. Yeah, let's go with that one first. Oh, dead or alive to grab a drink with. Yeah. This is inspired by one of your talks, your pre-concert talks. <laughs> Mozart always seems fun. Oh yeah, lots of scatological jokes. He seems fun. Like yeah. He'd, he'd be fun to have a drink with. Yeah. That's a good answer. Okay, next question is, which composer, our pianist, dead or alive, would you like to fight? What do you mean by fight? Yeah, you know, who would you beat in a fight? What if I don't fight very well? Mm. Well, then you pick one that's really Like bad. verbally fight or physically fight? Physically sparring. Like, which one do you think you could really beat? But or which one would you want to beat? I don't want to beat anybody. <laughs> You're so peaceful. <laughs> that feels awful. Like, I hate watching boxing in movies, even though oh, it's really? fake. Yeah, I oh. can't stand it. 
Okay. It's awful. <laughs> okay, let me rephrase this. Let's say, which composer do you think is capable of robbing you, and which one would you beat up as a result? Wow. You have two tears. Is this Who too is complicated? capable of like robbing me? Well, you said, you just said there are a lot of pianists slash composers that I would like to kill. So, they must be despicable. They want to write all the music that you can't play. Oh, oh that's your reasoning. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> maybe let's move on. Yeah, maybe we should move on. Too, too many pauses. Huh? Too many to pauses. Like, mm. Okay. Cut out too much pause. Silence. That's all right. We can put in some lame music or something. So, so you actually got people to answer those questions. Well, it's mostly me and Franny. <laughs> I'm not the first one. Oh, you are? You're the first guest. I didn't know you were off the cuff. It's good. Well, okay. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is your recent Grammy nomination, which was, um, can you, well, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I was nominated as part of a, a, a chamber music, best chamber music performance mm -hmm. for Tom Flaherty's piece called Air Dancing for piano, toy piano, and electronics. Ah. And so I think I'm probably the first person to play toy piano to be nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're the inaugural nominated toy pianist. So that's Grammy. kind of exciting. But, yeah. but, it, but in general, you know, um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily something that I'm the most proud of in, in my lifetime. It's not right, like you're always kind of self-deprecating about your toy piano abilities. <laughs> it was like, I loved that... You played that, so I made you talk about it at Garth Mule. I think totally you were just like... Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun to play. I've done different pieces with, especially toy piano electronics. Mm -hmm. um, very few just solo toy piano, because it is right. limited. The range is limited, the timbre is limited, and what you can do with it is limited. But it's just another instrument, and I think that composers are always looking for a different, different sound. Yeah. And I did this piece by Gu Gangru, who's a Chinese composer oh, who cool. wrote a, kind of a melodrama for singing pianists. So I had to sing in Chinese. In oh, so you sing too. opera style. Oh! With toy piano and other toy instruments. She performed this at one of our pub concerts. Oh, really? It was absolutely riveting. People still talk piece. about that. Well, because it's there's like kind of Chinese opera in it, mm -hmm. and she plays like a zillion different instruments and has to sing. What other she instruments? She has to do like some singing and speaking in Chinese and oh, toy glockenspiel, um, toy accordion, whistles. Oh, no, it cool. wasn't. It was mostly um, yeah, toy glockenspiel. Uh, you know, maybe bowls, um, toy piano, a toy kind of whistle, and singing. Did you carry this all in a sack in your back like Santa? Well, I tried to to shift the the piano. Well, I think I tried to bring it with me and in, 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 um, check luggage. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had a toy piano, an upright, custom kind of cut. You know, our technician David Vanellip was was willing to like cut it down. I found a suitcase that would fit it, and I oh. packed it all in it with 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 clothing and socks and everything, and I uh -huh. checked it. But then there uh -huh. was TSA who checked it, and they don't necessarily pack everything up in the same way. So oh. a little bit of damage to the instrument and the suitcase. It, it made it here, but I think eventually I had Garth Newell buy the toy piano that's here. Which we so respectfully hunk up from the ceiling, right? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen those pictures? I did. I think I saw one of them. So then what, what was this uh, Grammy-nominated performance a part of? Like what was the album it was involved with? 
It was part of the album that Nadia Shpashenko called Women at the Piano. And so mm. she had commissioned a number of pieces by several composers. And I played a piece by Adam Schoenberg and also this piece Adam that was Schoenberg. Known. Adam Schoenberg. Related right. to Schoenberg? No, he gets oh. that question all the time. Well, I mean, <laughs> this it's is, a natural question. Right. And this is a piece called Bounce for Two Pianos. And oh, then we cool. also recorded a piece by Tom Flaherty, mm-hmm. um, Air Dancing for to a Piano, Piano, and Electronics. And so um, this particular piece was nominated for Best Chamber, Chamber Music Performance, but her album was also nominated for Best Compilation. Compilation, oh, okay. Compilation. And I think her the producers of the album were also nominated, nominated. for Best Producers. I think Nadia is a really strong woman pianist. She's a terrific musician, terrific mm-hmm. pianist. And all the people like playing were women pianists? No. Oh, really? Composers are not. None of them were women. Well, Adam so, Schoenberg, so I guess. Was, is right. Yeah. So she was the woman at the piano, I suppose. If you're gonna and you were? And I was a woman at the, the toy, toy piano. piano. Well, and the piano, because the yeah. Adam Schoenberg piece were, was for two pianos. Well, I think it's a natural question, because you got Sam Adams and John Adams. They're related. Sam Adams. <laughs> I went to school with Sam Adams. <laughs> He looks like Harry Potter, actually. Um, okay, so then one, one of the things I think is I'm particularly interested in, this might get a little, I guess, deeper into your work habits and your mindset, but um, how do you remain so normal and joyful in a sort of career that would probably burn a lot of people out? Like, how, how do you maintain this very sane mindset? It's a it's a Asian facade. It's an Asian facade. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, underneath the yeah. calm. <laughs> I mean, I think I don't think of myself as a person. As, I mean, I think I can be competitive, and I can. Um, oh really? Mm-hmm. You strike me of as course. one of the most giving musicians out but there. I don't think you can be successful without having some sort of competitive streak. I mean, you can't mm. want to be better as a person without having some kind of competitiveness. Right. I guess, I guess what, what I'm, I haven't noticed in you a need to validate yourself through other people's eyes, mm-hmm. which I find is, not to grossly generalize, but I find that's, that's actually kind of true of a lot of pianists, is this insecurity and this need to be constantly validated. Like, I never got that, that sense, and, and I'm wondering, like, is this a conscious effort on your part, or are you just naturally a good person? Like, <laughs> so hard it's, to it's a very awkward of course awkwardly awkwardly worded person right. I mean anybody we all have our insecurities of course right. we're, we're completely am I good enough all the time do I have a voice do I have something to say yeah. am, I, am I important like what is this for of course I think about that right um, but I think that I'm in a place where I know that I can explore the things that I want to explore and I'm hardly ever happy with performances that I do. I mean, I'm hard on myself. Right. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I'm always trying to explore new things. So I'm always playing things for the first time and learning them under you know, time pressures. Um, but it sounds like you're and, only judging yourself from your standards, not from a need to... or other people's standards. Like, that's mm-hmm. sort of not important to you. Well, you think you can't get obsessed by that, otherwise it would just... right. Destroy you. Right, right. Right. Is, is this, um, mostly because I think this is very useful for a lot of pianists is the neuroticism and the sort of self-destruction that comes from thoughts that get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Like, have you had the experience of being wary of those kind of thoughts being controlling? 
I think as a student, especially as a graduate student, it was it was hard. I think as an undergraduate, I think I was very enamored with being discovering that I like being a pianist. I like being in a music school. I like mm-hmm. being stimulated by all these amazing musicians around me. Right. I didn't think about it so much. And I think when I went to grad school, you know, I was pushed to think a little bit more about. Um, oh, so you're not supposed to just do everything your teacher says. You're supposed to oh. start to think about and question what you want to do right. as your own person. Right. I mean, and that was something that Berman really pushed me to do. But there was there were definitely moments where I thought, do I have my own voice? Do I have anything to say? And, yeah. Um, and I also, I think, at that point thought about whether I should pursue, should I do music? Should I try to uh, specialize? Right. But... I think I I felt like, and I still feel this way, that I just love too much of the repertoire. That I don't want to just narrow narrow down. myself and just do one thing. I right. really want to be able to do do it all in some ways. Right. You don't want to be bored. I don't want to be bored. I want to like be able to explore anything. I don't want to be pigeonholed as somebody who just is, does X right. or Y. Right. Right. Um, and I think that's what kind of keeps me going. I kind of always try to think about well, what's going to excite me? Like what kind of piece or what set of pieces or what's going to really want me to, you know, get me excited? Right, What's the next project? Yeah. Well, this kind of leads into what I should have started with was how did you decide to be a pianist as a career path? You know, I was just nudged into it by my teacher in high school because all along, you know, I started piano at four, but my parents told me that, that... that they just, they said, I wanted to play piano. They weren't pushing it, and they decided to invest. That's a story my parents say, in a, too. In a piano, yeah. in a, you know, a Yamaha console that I grew up with all the way through, you know, hmm. through college. And I took lessons with the neighborhood teacher that mm-hmm. down the street for four years. And she, at some point, said to my parents, I think she should move on to somebody else because <laughs> they don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> Not sure what to do. And all along, you know, I practiced piano after school, but it wasn't the first priority. You know, right. my, my school stuff was my first priority. And I like right. school. I like math. I like science. And I think it wasn't until high school we moved to Pennsylvania and I was studying with um, a teacher, Tinkanoff, at, um, at Peabody. Oh. And I think she was just sort of slowly nudging me towards music. Right. And at some point, I think in my junior, senior year, I decided, oh, well, why don't I audition for music schools? Might as well, right? Might as well. <laughs> and I told my parents that, and they, they supported me. Uh-huh. And, and I was lucky, I think, that I, when I went to music school, I discovered that that was really what I loved, and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed being there. Because I think if I had gone to a liberal arts college or university, I would have been confused, because I like a lot of different things. Right. I mean, I, I was... Um, I like math a lot and, and, and science, and you know I thought about maybe you know, being a doctor because a lot of my relatives were right, doctors, right. So it was maybe indoctrinated, but um, you know I think I was just really lucky that I mm-hmm. sort of fell into it and it became something that was seemed to fulfill all to, of your right. It was yeah. something I really wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I was happy going for it. Wow! So yeah. it wasn't like you were born into a musical family. Not at all. No, my parents did not play instruments. Maybe that's why you're so joyful. Because yeah, I, so I keep on going back face. to this. Because you have such a big smile. I think I always have <laughs> a, a stupid grin on my face. No, it's a very, it's, 
It's an instantly likable smile. Too bad people on a podcast can't see your smile. It's very large. I mean, my husband and I were just walking on some like trail in Cambria last week, and some guy walks past and is like, you have a really nice smile on your face. <laughs> that is an odd compliment, though. <laughs> I guess I'm smiley. Well, although that could also be an Asian stereotype. To be smiley? Oh, the Asian, like, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Nodding. Oh, oh! I wouldn't think of that. You, know, you don't think about that? No, I I think about resting bitch face because that's a stereotype. <laughs> I get. What kind of resting bitch face? Resting. That's what I get a lot. Resting bitch face. Yeah. I don't get that. Resting? What is resting? It's just like your natural face to look like you're pissed. Oh. Yeah. So wait, so you were American born though? Yeah, I was born in the states. Okay. Wisconsin. And your parents are doctors, or your just relatives are doctors? Relatives. My parents are not doctors. Wait, you're from Wisconsin? I was born in Wisconsin, Madison, so Wisconsin. Cold. That's why I'm a Packer fan. Oh, that's Packers why! Fan. Green Bay Packers, yay! <laughs> okay, so, so you're American-born, so you don't have, like, these, these... An ABC. You're an ABC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're all ABCs. Look at that. I, I guess one of the, the questions I kind of want to tie up the podcast with uh-huh. is, do you have any advice for young pianists out there who are, like, trying to make a career, make a new business plan as a pianist? Like, what kind of advice would you give them? It's the same advice I would give to anyone. I think you have to do something you really feel passionate about. And I mm-hmm. think if you feel like you have to do it and you're good at it, you'll you'll stick with it. You'll find ways to make it work for you. But it's right. not going to necessarily be easy or it's not going to be exactly the same thing you envisioned. Right. Um, and I also think music needs to start with the young. I mean, I think it's... it's Right, you touched about this yesterday. Right, it's education in this country. I mean, it's education on so many levels. And it's, right. It's music education, it's arts education, it's any kind of education. Yeah. It needs to start when people are young. When they're not enculturated into certain yeah, ways of thought. exposed to it, right, yeah. and have the opportunity to pursue it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think music and music lessons are um, often um, only available to those you know, privileged. Who can afford who it. Who can afford it. Yeah. And that's a big problem. And that's why I think it needs to be part of public education. Yeah. You have to be exposed to it. You have to, like, develop um, a love for it or a liking for it, interest. Yeah. And it has to be part of popular culture. I mean, it just has to be part of, it has to saturate, right. I think, what's, what's going on in, in life. Um, and I, mean, I think it's hard to make the arts relevant right now when we are faced with so many, you know, sort of imposing kinds of, um, well, tragedy dangers. left and right, tragedy left yeah. and right. And, you know, things like climate change, like why would you become a musician as opposed to a scientist who might be able to, you know, right. help with climate change? Yeah. The importance right. of music has become, or, yeah. uh, or a politician who may be able to be able to make changes in the world. Right. Possibly. It's hard to say that, but then what is a society without culture? Without the, the arts. arts. And the yeah. arts, and something that feeds you spiritually. I mean, that's the thing. I think yeah. music becomes a kind of religion for most of us. It is for me, it's, for sure. It is yeah. a religion. I mean, it, there are people who I think who are religious and, and musicians, but I think for a lot of us, yeah, um, music is our... It is the most important thing. We are spiritually, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess... It's um, where we find you know, solace and comfort, but also a, a higher sense of, you know... Of being. Of being. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I guess like I, I, I've definitely always thought that music was proof that there was something more. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of like pers- pursuing it felt like pursuing something that was true. And mm-hmm. that was kind of always... It's worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is, that is a value that people will see if they're exposed to it. Like even if people, if schools can't afford like a piano or instruments to give lessons, they can at least have music classes. You can have keyboards. Nothing wrong with keyboards if you're gonna. A recorder, even like just recorder. music appreciation. Music. music. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's a very important point, and I wonder if we'll we'll be able to make. I think there are big changes being made, or at least awareness being brought to the next generation of pianists that they have to be involved in making more outreach or making more education happen. From the ground level. Yeah. I think it's too late. At, at, at even at the college level. I mean, right. adults. It's not too late necessarily. No, no, no. I mean elementary, yeah. To make the most impact. Right. No, no. It has to be like something we that you've grown teachers. up with. I mean, we need teachers on all levels. Yeah. Good teachers from the ground up. Right, right. Would you say that for most burgeoning pianists that they should be thinking about the next generation? That they should be communicating in that way? I mean, I think you have to foster a love for it for yourself first, Mm -hmm. because if you're not interested in it, you're not going to be able to impart that enthusiasm to somebody else. Right, so self-reflection. You just have to do it. You're not going to show somebody that you're really into it, right? I feel like those those people who think that way would be weeded out very quickly. Perhaps. Yeah. Or like, I mean, I think that's why my undergrad class... Or just thinking outside of yourself. I think that's the other thing. Yes! I think okay. it's the going beyond the the millennials, X generation, me generation. It's, it's is that, about is it on me generation? Is now? it? I don't know. What do you call your generation? Am I? I'm a millennial, right? No, maybe I'm, I'm older really than that. I think you are a millennial, but it's it's so wide. The only thing I've learned was what baby boomers were, like up to sixty four. That's right? kind of yeah sad, but oh. but millennials, it's pretty wide open. Yeah, yeah. But there's basically a pejorative for anyone who's really selfish, right? But anyone, I mean, it's it's hard because we're all, people tend to get, we get preoccupied by technology, our phones, our just day-to-day life, and it's hard to think yeah. outside. Right. You know? And especially for music, it's hard to think outside. And music, yeah. I think music has become something that is between the earphones. You know, people experience music um, in a solitary manner. Right. I mean, I used to enjoy, I learned so much from friends. Here's a piece that you should listen to. You know, we listen to it together yeah. in the old stereo system. Aww. In a dorm room, you know, you listen to pieces. You have listening Mother parties. Mother nine, right, listening oh. parties. You, you listen to stuff. Yeah. And music has become something that you listen to by yourself in the car or on the subway or, you know, yeah. walking to class yeah. between your earbuds. Um, people don't experience music so much. As a shared thing. As a shared thing. Yeah. Because if you're excited about something, you want to tell people about it. Right. Yeah. You want to experience it together. Oh, I love this part that's coming up. Listen, <laughs> listen to this. This is an orgasm right here. Right. Listen to this moment. <laughs> or even just like listening exams where you study together and you're listening to the entire, oh, yeah. you know, Bach, Mirror, Iron Mass because you, you yeah. learn a piece. And so you listen to it and you study together. Right. Yeah, I don't think people you're do that anymore. You're not listening on the earbuds, you know, yeah. by yourself. Or even just going to concerts together. Right. That's also very fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyways, you must be exhausted. You know, Genevieve was here as a producer for us. 
these yeah, past you two days. You did all the playing, the millions of notes. <laughs> millions of notes, which is like, fast enough. Which you have done, so it's like. Not for recording, though. Yours is pretty it's clean. Different for her. <laughs> it's fleeting. It's fleeting. Well, it's captured on recording because I listened to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was long days. How long were we recording for? I it just. Long. It was. A lot of it was waiting around, though, right? Probably a good six, seven hours. I mean, of actual yeah. working each day. Are you, do you think we, did a, we have something workable? We have a great <laughs> group of tracks to work with. Are you excited for Ijevsky this summer? Yes! Okay, good. But I've never seen the two piano version. I just heard it on Naxos, and I was like, oh, this is even louder. So- Wow. But I met, but I saw Alpins in Holland on the Grammys. Did you really? <laughs> well, because she was nominated. She didn't win either. Huh. So I was in great company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, how old is she her. now? She's a beast. What is that? The, um, she's amazing. The, she's a pioneer. Yeah, exactly. Women in new music. Did you enjoy studying with Berman? I think I asked you this. I did. Okay. I mean, it was hard. It was hard. It was yeah. hard because, you know, he was really good to getting to you psychologically, then this is the whole thing. Yeah. The crisis of, do I have a voice? Do I have a Oh, oh, I see, like, I see. Really probing me because I was used to just doing what a teacher says. Right. And he's not about that at all. Yeah. He, he, would, he would even say, like, you know, like when you first bring in a piece, he doesn't yeah. have as much to say. But the more you, you have to, the more that you have to say about it, the student has to say about it, the more he has to say because right. he has something to react against. Right. But when it's just kind of blank. He doesn't, Yeah. There's not as much for him to, to work with, so he's exactly. like waiting for you to like form your own opinion. Mm. And so he was, he really pushed me to like, because I never thought about that. Like, yeah. I just like went to my lesson. I did what you, you do what your teacher says. Right. I mean, well, I so, thought about so it a little good. bit more when you know towards the end of my undergraduate, but it was really he really I think pushed me much more to think right. about. Um, I should probably mention where you went to school so people know that you actually. Went to Yale for a master's, right? That's where Berman teach. Master's taught. and MMA doctorate at DMA. Oh, you, oh right, yes. And you the did the MMA, MMA thing. The weird MMA. Oh, Jesus. DMA. So, and where did you do your undergrad? Just so... At Peabody. At Peabody. And then I spent a year in France also. Oh. Between undergraduate. Uh, Fulbright? No, I went to Fontainebleau for a summer. In 19, oh, cool. Like the year before my last year at Peabody. And at the end of that summer session, they awarded me this scholarship <laughs> to go to the Ecole Normale for, for a year. Awesome. And so it was not to be for that year, but the following year. So huh. when I was finishing Peabody, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. I had applied to Yale and got in yeah. and deferred that. Oh, you deferred your I Yale. I decided to mm. take the chance to go to Paris. That's awesome. And study. I mean, it was hard. It was hard yeah. musically. It was not the greatest year musically for me. For oh, really? They're pretty I, tough there, right? I've heard. Well, I think that um, my teacher was 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 a good teacher, and she also taught taught at the conservatoire. But it was mm-hmm. this European style lessons where it was group lessons. Uh huh. And so I would go for a group lesson, but I always had to leave early because I was living as an au pair and I had to take care of kids. So I oh, always you had were. to play first in a large group of people in front of people I didn't know. I'd have a half an hour lesson in front of the teacher. Uh huh. And so it's like a master class every time? Exactly. That's Ugh. the European style. So I was I didn't know extremely that was. nervous and didn't feel like I could build any rapport with my teacher. Yeah. 
and I couldn't afford. Apparently, the thing is, you can you can pay for private lessons, but oh, that wasn't part I, of the deal. No, I didn't have money to pay for extra private lessons, so it was just like the group lessons every yeah. week, and so I didn't really get to know my colleagues because I always had to leave early. Yeah. Um, so I was really nervous for lessons, but you somehow, have no idea what. And thought. I had kind of a crisis of of memory. I started having all these like memory slips. I just couldn't like get through. Oh, peace. really? And so I, I eventually through the year, I, I banded up with other groups of musicians. Some other Americans who were also studying in Paris, and we mm-hmm. had little studio classes together. We would just have like performance classes. Oh, we would play for each other. Yeah. And I sort of got through my my memory like block through that year because it was it was hard. Yeah. And I thought I was like having a, some crisis of memory. Right. But I was able to just, you know, playing in front of people and yeah. um, repeatedly. So you never had a memory slips before this or it was just... No, I mean, I had memory slips, but I just was having, I was having serious trouble, like getting through a piece. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think that's, that's actually a common experience, having like a memory crisis, right? Is it common? I, I know I for me, it was, was there was a crisis point. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I feel like with pianists, because we have to memorize everything, they become... Well, it gets harder and harder. Yeah. And there's a certain point where, like, psychologically, something happens. Like, it sounds like you, you had a lot of anxiety in France, and that probably led to And I sort this. of got over that, yeah. I sort of yeah. got over the hump, I think, when I was in Paris. So by the time I came back and went to Yale, it was, it was okay. Yeah. But even now, I mean, memory is a scary thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, like... It's just too much in your brain. <laughs> I, can't, I can't trust myself to memorize something unless I have spent a lot of time on it. And mm-hmm. you got a ladybug in your hair. On your right side. Okay. Because I can't see it. Oh, God. Can I use the spoon to do yeah, it? Yeah, please. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's on the ground. Okay. That was really funny. It just like randomly appeared on your head. Sorry. Rodents and ladybugs. Oh, man. Did you just jump there? Like, how did it get there? Yeah. I didn't know. I've been staring at you the whole time. I know. Oh, maybe I should stop this before yeah, it gets too much. Sure well, thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, this is a thing I like to ask. What is the latest thing you've been obsessed about lately? Sort of like endorsements, but we call them obsessions. Obsessions? What do you mean by that? Do you have anything you'd like somebody... Like, you recommended a show for me to watch. I forgot. Ray Donovan. Ray, Ray Donovan, yeah. Ray Donovan, that was really oh, good. Oh, with Leah... Leah Schreiber. Oh, she's season the three one. Four. Okay. I didn't see season one and two. I haven't gone in. So you don't need to see that to enjoy it? No. Apparently. No. So is, is that your obsession to, to tell, or is there another Ray one? Ray Donovan? Yeah, go Ray Donovan. I go Ray Donovan? Looking forward to season five. <laughs> what is this about? <laughs> He's a fixer. So he fixes other people's problems. Oh, oh, like politicians' problems and stuff? Well, the Hollywood stars, but then he sort of gets in a little bit over his head, you oh. know, because he has family members who then get into other kinds of trouble. Oh, I see. Oh, I thought fixers were like assassins or something. That's sometimes a cleaner. Some, sometimes right? it involves, you know, a little killing. Minor killing of the or like less just getting, get, getting rid of the body. <laughs> right, getting rid of the evidence. You know, I think I think of white collars fixer. When in season one, the woman goes and fixes all the politicians' squabbles. Which one? What's that? I don't even remember. It's so long ago. It's too busy looking at that bummer. Okay, so you recommend wait, Ray Donovan only season three or four. Well, that's only the ones I've seen. I would like to see one and two. I just didn't get to see them. I was telling um, Genevieve she should watch um, Stranger Things. Stranger did, I, did I talk about that to you? 
You mentioned that. Is it like Twilight Zone a little bit? Well, it's, yeah, kind of, but it's better. Um, it's really good. This is like the acting. I don't usually like things with little kids in it, but this one I actually like really enjoyed. Hmm. They did it well. So either we're not aware of kids being annoying or they're just really fantastic actors. It's got, it's got Twilight Zone. It's got Outer Limits in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little more disgusting. It's good, though. And that just about brings us to the end of this week's Awesome Person episode. Are you also an awesome person and want us to know just how awesome you are? Then leave us a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram, so many wrong notes, and our Twitter, at so many wrong note. No S. Blog posts every Wednesday and new episodes every Sunday.